This is Prayer Room Companion, episode 77, recorded November 9th, 2011. Perg for the Berg. Why Dr. Bergwald Loves Purgatory. Welcome to this week in Prayer Room Companion. I'm Chris Bergwald. And I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. So, Father, how's the weather in Brookings? Uh, November-ish. Uh, yeah. It has a nice kind of crisp but chill edge on the air. Although, of course, the uh, um, humidity is certainly going down oh, as... Uh, as we have that, and so it's, uh, but it's definitely feeling like fall. I uh, yesterday I drove past you, so to speak, up to Aberdeen um, for a presentation, and there's a chance there have been a chance they were thinking even as of yesterday morning a chance of rain or snow here in Sioux Falls. So it's getting that fun time of the year when uh, you have to take the uh, driving conditions into account, weather conditions into account if you're driving any distance. Fortunately, that. Forecast changed, and I had smooth sailing all the way north and south again. So, anyway, uh, yes, it is. Go ahead. Uh, so it's, it, it is uh, no, November. It is fallish, um, and I think we may have alluded last last episode to um, the feasts that we celebrated last week: um, the Solemnity of All Souls uh, of, of All Saints on November first, and then All Souls Day on November second. Um, and Father and I thought that it might be good to talk a little bit more about um, All Souls Day and sort of the, well, the, the broader meaning of that. Um, November is a month in particular in which we, as Catholics, um, recall the dead and pray for the dead. So we, we pray for those souls who have been marked with the sign of faith and gone before us. Um, and even, frankly, I, I think it, it'd be legitimate to pray for all those who we know who have, who have died, um, for everyone who has died, but in particular for those we know, our family, our friends, and so on. Um, Father, personally, this is something that was never a really strong part of my our, our Catholic devotional life going up, and honestly, it's something I'm still working to, to make really a part of my own and and now my family's own devotional life. Um, not quite there yet, but trying to getting there. Did you, by chance, did you do anything to observe um, November as that month in which we pray for the dead in a particular way? Uh, I did not grow up either. Um, no, uh, no regular devotions that way as a family. My, uh, my mom is a, is a convert to the faith, and I still had some difficulties at times with, uh, with purgatory. Um, well, there might, I think there's some acceptance, but there's still some confusion. Uh, so it wasn't a uh, traditional part of our household. Uh, one of the things I started doing at my parishes, at my Newman Center, at my mission parish, is uh, after the intercessions, the month of November, we pray uh, the prayer for the dead from funerals. This oh. is a way to heighten that as well for people. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon them. And may the souls of faithful departed rest in peace. And part of that was I just noticed that a lot of people weren't knowing that at funerals. Yeah. And, and uh, as part of the funeral rite, funeral liturgy. And so I was like, you know, I need to, uh, I need to get this going some way. That would be something great. That, that's a great idea for, for me to add to our family prayer. Um, I'll have to do that. Anyway. Well, and because it, it is, and that is a part of the traditional after meal prayer, which doesn't right. really work out much for children sometimes. But uh, where you would say, we give you thanks, Almighty God, for these and all that benefits you who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And may the souls of faithful departed through the mercy of God rest in peace. Amen. Amen. Beautiful. So that is, regardless of whether to the degree to which you or I are or, or did um, grow up with those devotions, it, it has been a part of, of the devotional practice of the church for, for centuries. Um, 
And of course, the the reasons for that, um, the the reason we we can pray for the dead um, because we know that there is this state after death called purgatory. Um, you know, there'd be no point in praying for the dead if there were no purgatory. Right, Father, because if they're in heaven, they don't need our prayers, and they're if they're in, they're in hell, unfortunately, our prayers are of no avail. Um, so the the fact that we have even before the time of Christ, we see in the second book of Maccabees um, that that we see uh, the Jewish practice of praying for the dead. That already points to um, the the reality of a of a third state um, after death. Correct. Right. There must be something else out there. Right, and we and we see reference, explicit reference in Scripture, uh, and, and, and unfortunately I couldn't put my finger on the exact passage, but you can Google it or use your concordance. Um, what's, what's called the limbo of the fathers is referred to in St. Paul's letters, um, where, where Jesus went down. Um, maybe I think it's actually one of Peter's letters. Come to think of it, but where Jesus uh, after, descended into the dead after he died, he saved the just souls, brought the just souls out of this state. Um, this this quote-unquote place where they had been. They weren't in hell. They weren't yet in heaven because he had not opened the gates of heaven by the redemption. So they were in this sort of um, state of, I don't know, a holding cell, so to speak, for lack of a better word at the moment, um, until he was able to free them and open the gates of heaven for them. So the idea, the point of that, the idea that there can be a third state uh, of, of after death is referred to explicitly in Scripture, even if it's not called purgatory. Right, and I think it's it's um, the notion then that um, I'm trying to find uh, the Bible passage. I can't find it. Um, but the the uh, um, um, dead air, dead air. <laughs> that there are other places aside from heaven or hell in the scriptures. I think you right. know exactly. Um, that, that the, you know, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Um, there is someplace else, you know, than heaven, because heaven isn't open yet. He's in the right. bosom of Abraham, which, you know, uh, in Peter's uh, letter, he called the villain uh, uh, of the fathers. Um, I think the reference would probably be First uh, uh, Peter uh, 3.19. Uh, yes. For Christ, or 3.18. For Christ also suffered for sins once, the righteous for the sake of the unrighteous, that he might lead you to God. Put to death in the flesh, he was brought to life in the spirit. In it, he also went to preach to the spirits in prison, who had once been disobedient, while God patiently waited in the days of Noah building the ark, in which a few persons, eight and all, were saved through water. Exactly. Yeah, so the, he went and preached to the souls and spirits in prison. Um, a reference there to what's become called the limbo of the fathers. So, so again, we see this this state, um, a, a third state, pointing to the, the possibility. And and there's been theologians have speculated. We don't know that that state was in fact purgatory. It may, it may have been a different state that was um, that ceased to be to exist when Jesus um, freed those souls um, and opened for them the way to heaven. Um, so there's there's debate about that. But the point again is that there's a third state besides heaven and hell referred to in Scripture. So, so there's been this long tradition again of of praying for the deceased. Um, again, as I said, going back to to Second Maccabees, um, 
and we see in the early church as well. I mean, even in, we, we have we have documented evidence in the mid second century, around 150, of people praying for their deceased loved ones. And again, prayers for the dead make no sense um, if 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 there is no third state of purification. And really, that's all purgatory is is, is a state of purification. I think sometimes there there have been two. Two objections in particular that I've heard, uh, or misunderstandings. One is that purgatory is forever, eternal. It's not. Um, if, you're, if you get to purgatory, um, that's a good thing, because that means you will get to heaven. Uh, we'll talk more about the, the biblical references to purgatory, but the point is that it's a place of cleansing of any venial sins or sinful desires that remain on our soul um, before we enter into heaven. Um, so it's temporary. Um, we don't know if it has time. Uh, it may be just be a state, uh, an instantaneous state potentially. There's speculation. We just don't know at this point. Um, but regardless, it, it, it's a temporary state of existence after we die. And the other thing, too, uh, sometimes, especially I think our Protestant brothers and sisters uh, misunderstand that purgatory means that um, we den we're denying the efficacy of Jesus. Oh, what do you mean? There has to be some other way. Didn't Jesus die for our sins? Didn't, wasn't that sufficient? It is. Purgatory is a means by which his redemption is applied to us. For, for those of us, when we die, if we have any venial sins or sinful desires, um, purgatory is the means by which Jesus redeems us completely and fully, and by which we are finally and completely fully sanctified. Um, so, just a couple of objections that I've heard. Anything uh, on the, that you've heard about in terms of objections, Father? Or, and if not, maybe you, just some of the scriptures. Remember the idea that it's like a second jeopardy? A second what? Second jeopardy? No. A second chance um, that, that maybe whether for those who ran the race and ran it well, um, then you have to do it all over again. Or for those who didn't run the race well, they now have to. They get a second chance aside from this life. Sometimes that's a misunderstanding or an objection to purgatory that I've encountered. And Does that make well, sense? So. Uh, so what's the, what is that? What's the nature of the objection then that that we get a do over is right um, that, that you get a do over or that you have to do a do over and we already did this. That becomes gotcha. a second jeopardy. Second jeopardy is a legal term that you can't be tried for the same or double jeopardy. I should say you can't be tied tried for the same Christ one uh, same case once. Gotcha. Okay. Yes, I'm, I'm with you now. So how do you respond to that when when you've encountered that? I usually hit them in the head. Oh, that's that's good with the catechism oh. probably. This no no I uh, I'll use a Bible because I'm a Bible guy. <laughs> um, well, for one thing, I'm just I think as you said, I mean that you can't flunk purgatory. Yep. It's a one way street. Um, you know, it's do not stop, do not collect two hundred dollars, just keep going. Um, and so the other thing is, you know, what does purgatory actually there for? And I think to, then I usually start talking to people, and we can probably go into this a little later. The difference between guilt of sin. And then the fruit or effect of sin. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, if we're free from the guilt of sin, hey, hot dog, but we still might have those, uh, still be bearing the fruits of sin uh, right. in our body, in our soul, in, our, uh, in the substance of who we are. So it's not right. just simply a matter of, uh, so, so it comes down to, it'll always come down to an understanding of who the human person is and right. how sin affects us. Right, right. And, and, the relationship between who we are and, and, and what heaven is. And again, we'll, we'll get into that. What God calls us to be in heaven. Exactly. 
Um, any other objections that you've ever heard? No, I think those are all I've heard. So again, we see in, in the early church reference to praying for the dead and then explicit reference later to this, what we call purgatory. Um, sometimes the objection is raised by, again, by our Protestant brothers and sisters. But where do you find that in the Bible? The word, purgatory is not in the Bible. Well, I, certainly the word is not in there, but the concept is as at least implied. Uh, and there are a couple places where it seems to be more than implied, but referred to perhaps by a different name. Uh, so I thought we could... Um, maybe look at some of those scriptural um, references, um, beginning with, with St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. There's a passage in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians that, that, that has long been read as, as an allusion or reference to purgatory. So this is 1 Corinthians 3, beginning with verse 10. According to the commission of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and another man is building upon it. Let each man take care how he builds upon it. For no other foundation can any lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation which gold, silver, precious, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work which any man builds, any man has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So, St. Paul's referring to the, the work that he's doing, the ministry he's doing, the, the apostolate he's engaged in, and other people's involvement in what he has done, or, or maybe furthering what he has done. And he talks, he uses this image of, of a foundation, then building on it with uh, with. Uh, I don't know, valuable materials, gold, silver, precious stones, um, but then also things like hay, wood, straw. And then he makes this this reference at the end that the day, the day of judgment, will disclose each of our, the work of each one of us because it will be revealed with, revealed with fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved but only is through fire. So a reference there to that our work will be tested, and if it's not up to snuff, uh, we will suffer loss, but we will still be saved only, though, as through fire. So that's been understood from the early church as a reference to the, the quote-unquote fires, uh, not literal fires, but spiritual purification, spiritual fires which purify the work of our souls, um, the work of maybe, uh, well, vice or sin that we have committed during our lives that have, has not we have not cleansed yet on earth is that your understanding oh great biblical scholar it is and i think it's a, it's a very beautiful one the more that we think about it and enter into it can you elaborate on that because my own in, in my own person i still do things incompletely i think everyone would uh Every Christian would identify with that, that there's some sense of an already and a not yet to my actions. Um, you know, St. Paul says, and I quote this 9,000 times a day, it feels like Romans 7:19, I do not do the good I want, instead I do the evil that I do not want, and I hate it so. Um, and so in those various ways, even our good actions, and especially still in our sinful actions, where we're still attached to sin. Even when I might be free of the guilt of sin, you know, having just come up from the waters of baptism as an adult convert, having just stepped out of the confessional uh, after making a good confession, 
where I'm still inclined towards sin. Uh, that when the moment comes, I'm probably more likely to choose sin. You know, and I, the Reverend Billy Graham would not deny this about himself. Right. Right. Um, any any evangelical Christian worth his salt would not deny this. And so, then this is precisely that purification St. Paul's talking about, those things of straw or wood, and those things that are gold, gold and silver that endure. Uh, and so, it's... Uh, um, I'm just pretty excited about. Uh, I, I just, I really, I'm kind of excited for purgatory if I don't mind. <laughs> mind saints. Right, right. So I know, and then there are a couple other passages, Father, that you had um, to get hand that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, I think you know, and the other question with purgatory is, um, you know, what's so? So we talk about this need for purgatory, and uh, so I think the passages would be in First uh, John. Uh, chapter 4, where he's talking about sin, right? 5. Pardon? Chapter 5, isn't it? It could be. You're the biblical guy, I'm not. Yeah. Uh, I forgot to open up my Bible ahead of time, so now I'm opening it up. Um, so in, in there it talks about uh, the different types of sin, uh, you know, in, in regard to, uh, if anyone sees his brother sinning, verse 16 of chapter 5, if the sin is not deadly, he should pray to God and he will give him life. This is only for those whose sin is not deadly. There is such a thing as deadly sin, about which I do not say that you should pray. Uh, all wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that is not deadly. So that means that there is sin which does not deprive us of uh, eternal life. Right? So it's not deadly. The death that it's talking about there, uh, frankly, would be uh, the loss of eternal life. Right? Now, this is where we get the, our distinction between mortal and venial sin, explicitly in Scripture. Explicitly in Scripture. Sin that is deadly, mortal. You are a mortal being, a being that will die. Then the other, but the problem with this, then, is, well, if it's not deadly, does that mean you could enter into heaven with sin? Right? Right. It seems to me that's kind of the hanging conclusion there. Yep. Why would that be a bad thing? Right? Well, if we look at uh, Revelations 21, Revelations chapter 21, uh, and verses uh, 24 and following, uh, speaking about what the kingdom of heaven, what the new Jerusalem will look like with its lamp being the Lamb of God. Uh, and so it says, Nothing unclean will enter it, verse 27, nor anyone who does abominable things or tells lies. Only those will enter whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So it seems to me that we have a bit of a problem when we think, think about that nothing unclean will enter into heaven. Mm-hmm. And so what is there then to provide cleanliness then between our death when I might have these non-deadly sins? How is God going to make that happen? Because it's going to be God who makes it happen and not me. Right. Because this is part of the redemption, the work of our redemption. Very much so. So from that, looking at the fact that we pray and these uh, things like 1 Corinthians 3 and then these two verses together, uh, very on, the, the, the early Christians um, understood that there was um, this third state of purification um, after death in which both those venial sins, the sins that we have not um, repented of prior to our death, and the, what you were referring to earlier, the effects of our sin throughout our lives, both of those um, are cleansed and purified, removed from our souls um, at, at the moment of death, or, well, after we die in the state of purgatory. 
Very much so. And so, go ahead. No. What does it think then about what our prayers for those souls do? Right, right. <laughs> it's a good way to go with this. Um, you know, that, uh, that when someone's in that state, then we're called in Christian mercy. Um, and uh, in Christian mercy, we're called to, uh, uh, to heal, uh, to, to help the sick, to help those who are poor. And so one of the things we do is we can pray for those who are in purgatory. Uh, because there is a suffering, a suffering of loss, um, that uh, 1 Corinthians talks about in that state of purgatory. And so we should pray for them to be uh, alleviated uh, from that uh, from that difficulty and from that pain. And so... Yeah, and, you know, this, this is something, uh, several years ago I was thinking a little bit on this, because we need to be... We, we can't enter into heaven without these venial sins or sinful desires, the effects of our sins, consequences of our sins cleansed away. Um, so it's not that our prayers for the souls in purgatory um, stop the cleansing, but either somehow, I don't know, spiritual anesthesia or, or maybe a hastening, you know, maybe... Uh, uh, quickening the speed with which the band-aid is pulled off. We don't know exactly the, the precise spiritual mechanism by which our prayers are efficacious, but we do know that somehow our prayers for the for the for the dead are efficacious. There's this uh, back in February, Magnificat, the the, the monthly devotional Magnificat. Um, they they oftentimes most days, except for Sundays and other solemnities. They have uh, a, a little um, vignette about sa a saint, um, cause, because there are thousands of them, and they all, but they always have a couple of short prayers as well. And there's this prayer that really struck me, um, that that it alludes at least in part to what we're talking about today. It's by an Italian, uh, I think, priest from the 19th century, Saint Joseph Cafasso. Oh, my dear Jesus, I commend in a special manner to your mercy the greatest sinner in your eyes the dying person in greatest danger of damnation, the most abandoned soul in purgatory, and the most desolate person on this earth. I love that prayer because it's targeted very specifically for people who I do not know um, and probably will never know the side of death. But I'm praying, when I pray this prayer, I pray for the, I'm praying for those specific people. One of them is the most abandoned soul in purgatory. There are people almost assuredly, who have died and, and nobody's praying for them. Nobody uh, is, is, is praying for either, however, again, that mechanism works, um, praying that their purification be completed and they enter into the glory of heaven. Uh, and so it is, as you said earlier, a, a great uh, work of mercy, in a sense, to pray for the souls of the deceased. So uh, anything else, Father, that you, uh, you think is worth addressing on this topic? I think we're just, uh, I said it a little bit, or alluded to it, but just that purgatory is the mercy of God. Yep. Um, I think uh, it's just, it, to, to have that view of it, not that it's, you know, God trying to get us, but it's it's the mercy of God, and it's such a beautiful thing in that regard. Um, so I, I just, uh, it's a good thing to leave us with. You know, I think the other thing I, I did think of earlier, and I'd forgotten until just now, there have been a number of private revelations um, throughout history, which in which uh, which allegedly speak to the nature of purgatory, and, and sometimes I think um, some people have the sense that certain 
I've talked to some Catholics, and you get the sense that purgatory is like, you know, just one step removed from hell. It's horrible, and the pain of purgatory, the spiritual fires, etc. Um, I don't, I, I, I don't, that's not the way that I would articulate it, because we're going to go to heaven. It might be, as a number of private revelations have indicated, it might be the fact that the, the penance and purification which we undergo in purgatory is more intense than the purification we might undergo while we are alive, um, and that way, in that sense, more painful. Nonetheless, the souls in purgatory know that they will enter into the beatific vision, that they will see God in all his glory. Uh, and so, you know, I, sometimes I feel like the, the way that purgatory is explained or described would lead you to despair if you were there, but far from it. I mean, right. you're, 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 you're the, I don't know if even hope is in a sense because you're, you're going to attain, assuredly, you are going to attain the thing for which we all desire, that for which we are created, that for which Christ died, to enter into the glory of heaven. So, so um, Father, any ideas? I know. You, I think you had an idea about a, a, a book that might be worth looking at. Well, just, uh, if, if you'd have any book recommendations that might speak about it in some way, uh, the best book that I've encountered is C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce. Now, C.S. Lewis is not a Catholic, but in some way uh, was thinking about or entering into this idea of purgatory. And I think it's just a, a good book uh, to enter into thinking a little more directly about it and what it actually offers the Christian. Yeah, I agree. Um, certainly, I think looking at the catechism of the Catholic Church or um, the Catholic Catechism for Adults, even the UCAT, um, to get a short synopsis. No, I don't. I don't. I can't think of a one a book length treatment of purgatory that uh, that comes to my mind that I'd recommend. Um, I, I do know what's interesting to me. In the magazine First Things, um, a couple times, several years ago, there's an article by a Protestant scholar, a theologian, arguing that purgatory is compatible with a Protestant understanding of salvation. And just in the newest issue of First Things, um, another article along advancing that argument by another uh, Protestant theologian, um, arguing that purgatory does fit within uh, Protestant understanding. So the, if you're interested in and maybe you, maybe you are Protestant, or you'd like to to know how um, Protestants might think about these things, as C.S. Lewis did. Um, I know there are a couple of articles and first things along those lines that might be worth um, your time as well. So, there we go. All right. All right. Well, thanks for listening. We'll be back another next week with another episode, and I will give Father the dismissal. I won't dismiss you. I'm not going to dismiss Father. I'm going to allow him to give the dismissal, the conclusion of the program, to be Crazy. clear. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you for tuning in to uh, the Prayer Room Companion. Uh, and over prayers for you, and also a desire for any input you might have. Uh, please, with any suggestions or questions, email uh, Dr. Chris Bergwald at cbergwald, C-B-U-R-G-W-A-L-D, at sfcatholic.org, sfcatholic.org. And... We'll see you again next time. Or hear you. <laughs> <laughs>